Today's episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is brought to you by Golf Genius. This is a uh, new partner. We uh, decided to partner with Golf Genius because we saw their uh, software out in the wild at our events. They are now the official, I guess, tournament software uh, provider of the Fried Egg. Obviously, they are most known for their tournament management software, which is, you know, it gives you live scoring if you're playing in the event, but the back end for anybody managing event, whether you're managing a buddy's trip or managing, you know, a club club events on a calendar basis, this is what makes it really easy. And that's why uh, we, we partner. So, you know, that's a new feature for Friday events this year, but they make it super easy to set up and manage all your golf events. So Golf Genius is a new sponsor you can find out more information and check them out at golfgenius.com and now to our podcast i miss a green for example i'm already upset when i find my ball in the bunker i'm really upset and when i find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg lie i'm about ready to run off the golf course Today's episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is with the legendary golf course architect, Bill Coor. So this is the third time that I've talked to Bill, and uh, we we caught up uh, on a recent trip to Scottsdale and just kind of talked uh, with him. This is the first time we've talked post-COVID, so you know the industry's buzzing, lots of things going on, and uh, never a shortage of stuff to discuss with Mr. Core. So thank you to Bill for taking the time, and now here is our interview. It's so good to see you again, Andy. I know, it's been a while. It's been since before COVID. That was like a month or month before COVID. When we Where were was the last time? Was talking, talking stick? stick? Yeah. Do you listen to music? Do I listen to music? Yeah. Yes. What kind of music do you listen to? <laughs> I, sounds like one of those questions. That <laughs> I'm just curious. I never, I never asked you. I, I don't know. You know, I figured you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I listen to quite a broad spectrum. I like uh, everything from classical music to country western. So um, I guess if I if I if you had to say what do you listen to more often, it would be sort of like people my age, oldies, oldies, you know, uh, rock and roll type stuff. But uh, but no, I if I'm driving in a rental car or something, I'm, quite often listen to classical music it's a, a lot of young shapers or younger you know i don't think a lot of them are young now you know so a, a lot of shapers listen to music when they shape do you ever listen to music when you're doing work on a course no no you, and by work you mean just walking out around the course and walking it, or it, yeah. if you're on the sand pro or no i don't any um I um, I may I may think of a song sometimes like like I guess almost all of us sometimes you think of a song then you can't get it out of your head the lyrics 
or or something and then and then it just keeps repeating over and over but it's it's not like i uh try to listen to music for a calming effect or if i'm driving yes but not not out walking on the site no what's your process for like building a green how does that work how do you guys build a green you know and come up with green concepts well we start with with concepts based on what we've seen on the ground I mean, green's no different than entire golf holes. If there's some natural feature, and by that it's generally a landform, a contour of some sort, that uh, just uh, conjures up a, 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 a mental image of, of how a green might fit at that site, and then obviously with the awareness of what type of shots can be played into that green, how long the hole is, what the angle is, all that sort of thing but for us it's it's very often just seeing what the contours are on the ground not just for the entire hole but even at the at the green areas and and sometimes you just see areas that well this is a green this is a gift it's already here you know we have to do almost nothing to this or very little and obviously there's the reverse of that there there are times that you have to link holes together and you have to build a green in an area that uh, you know, to help the the sequence of the holes or the linkage of the holes, and there's nothing to work with at that green site. So then, then you you create a concept from you know mentally that you think fits into the again the the, the concept of the entire course. But no, if we can find if we can find um, natural sites that just feel like interesting green contours we're going to gravitate toward those whenever possible when you have to create what's kind of you know is it is it just really site specific with like what you're having to do whether it be get out of a tough corner or you know a severe piece of land or if it's you know kind of a connector hole say over the least interesting where you have to spruce something up how do you is it all just kind of specific on on what the you know situation is and the whole sequence around it uh, i think for the most part that's correct yes i mean you obviously we start out studying the the sites and we've talked about this you know at length in the past but we start studying the sites trying to get a sense of how we would travel around through each individual site and and uh, see the interesting features natural features of that site and incorporate them in some manner into the golf the golf course um but then we we proceed into breaking sort of that circulation pattern down into individual into a routing for a golf course into individual holes that of course go to combine together to create the golf course whether it's nine holes or 18 or in the case of some part three courses 13 or 17 or different numbers but so you know as we've talked about before we get we get the circulation pattern first to showcase the site, and we start to break it in then into the individual holes based on the landforms and, and how we might play golf on that site. And, uh, and then from there, once we have a routing that we're quite comfortable with, we start saying, what type of golf concepts 
would we like to see on this site that would be, uh, you know, very interesting in terms of playing golf, but would be complementary to the site and help showcase uh, the the interesting aspects of the site while hopefully providing entertaining and, you know, again, I hate to use the word interesting so often, but interesting golf in the process. You got to get those synonyms, synonyms like, you know, compelling. I, yeah. I run into this all the time yeah, whenever I, I write. Know. It's like I want to uh, say interesting so many times. I know. Like, I, ben and I both get, we, we so over <laughs> overuse that combination of fun and interesting. You know, we've done it for decades now, I guess. So, uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, with uh, your site, I, I think like you obviously have worked at a lot of spectacular sites that people can easily recognize as spectacular. Sand Hills, Friars Head, you know, uh, the new course at Tiari. Um, what's a site that people might not know was spectacular that actually when you guys got to see that might be more subtly spectacular? What would you say is the the site that you've worked at that was really underratedly beautiful and great for golf that you never hear listed as like your spectacular site. Um, gee, Andy, um, you know, this a site that was so good for golf and you don't hear a great deal about it, although it does show up in those lists of, you know, considered, special courses but old sandwich i kind of thought i was thinking that because whenever i see a picture of that golf course i'm just like god that looks just so beautiful well it's so it it so reflects the, the character of new england and uh, particularly that the greater boston area the cape cod area there the um it's it's got everything from sand to some giant boulders glacial boulders and uh it's but the contours for the most part are, are reasonably subtle it's not flat by any means but it's just the combination of the 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 landforms the vegetation and then the, part of it has to be too just the area and the and the heritage of golf in that area. It all goes together to make it a pretty pretty special place. I was there not too long ago and hadn't been there in several years, and um, I just walked around and thought, you know, we try to be really understated about stuff we do, but. This is pretty good. <laughs> and uh, and one of the amazing things, Andy, because I know you've done interviews and, and uh, you know, focus pieces with about golf course superintendents, you know, the men and the women who take care of these courses. And um, from Ben's and my perspective, the design side, there's nothing can be better than to try to than to create a golf course with an intended, you know, a certain design intent and then see that golf course get better and better and better through the years and progress in a very positive way to attain that design intent. And um, <clears throat> what Sean McCormick, who, who actually just retired at the end of this year, but has done for all these years at Old Sandwich since we built it was – he knew exactly what we were trying to do with the golf course. 
he knew, even though it wasn't in its earliest years, he he knew that concept was was there and was close, but wasn't totally fulfilled. And he made it happen. He's it's just gotten better each time you go. And there's just simply nothing from our perspective that that could be more rewarding than that. To just go, you do something you think has potential, and you watch other people then make that potential realized. Yeah, it's it's a neat thing. When you see when you go back somewhere after a couple of years and you see it significantly, you know it plays significantly better because of small little tweaks. It's not huge things, and and I think of something that's, you know, odd with what you guys do. You know, a house architect and and builder they hand over a pristine product. In a way, you guys hand over a product that's that's young and and almost fragile because it's you know you you grow it in and it's going to mature and be playing its best maybe two years after you guys are done with your work so you kind of hand it over to to uh owners and and superintendents and from there the the potential is kind of realized a a couple years after where you know um, and potentially, you know, a decade later, it, it keeps getting better. But you don't hand over a product like a car or a house where the best, you know, it's going to be is the day you, you move in or the day you turn on the ignition if it's a brand new car. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Um, years ago, it used to be thought of that when you opened a golf course, it would be about five years until you felt like it had it had gotten to the point you hoped it would be. Um, then, in particularly with the the influx of well, financing and development, and with the 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 advance of equipment and and all these things, we went through a period there where it was almost instant gratification with enough money. We can make these golf courses almost uh, perfect on day one. We can sod the golf course. We can transplant trees. You can do this. You can do that. It was it was almost to the point that you you didn't uh, you didn't think of it in terms of that longer term um, process to get to attain the goals. It was again instant gratification. We want it now, and uh, you know that's. That's okay in in its way, and it, 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 it that was done for quite a long time, particularly with big, uh, very well funded developments. But um, we kind of still prefer the old fashioned way, as you described. Let it evolve. The design evolves when you're when you're under the process of creating the golf course, but then let the the maturity evolve too. It, as long as it's hopefully within the framework of the direction you want it to go. And again, the original design intent. So uh, um, it's uh, it's kind of neat to watch. I mean, it's it doesn't happen too much that way anymore. But you mentioned earlier about being at uh, Brambles in uh, Lake County in California. That is very much the old world way of, of constructing a golf course, both in terms of having 
very few people out there building it, but then also also this process of starting to grass it and and allowing that process to happen and grass some more and allow that to happen. Just this very old world slow uh, evolution from concept to reality. And uh, it's, it's kind of neat to see too. Brambles is something I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad you just, you know, brought me over there. You did all the heavy lifting for me, you know. Um, it's a cool project. I, I'm really excited to see it, um, it, it continue to grow in and evolve and, and be fin- a finished product. Uh, one of the unique things out there is the sheep. The they're they're going to use sheep. I mean, is that one of the most unique maintenance? I mean, uh, you know, in terms of it's the year's twenty twenty two, and you're going uh, and they're going to do uh, you know really maintain the rough in the native area with with sheep, and the sheep are going to roam around. It's got to be one of the more unique uh, situations you've come across with maintenance. Since we're kind of talking about maintenance, well, as, as we said, Andy, it's uh, brambles is is a complete throwback. Uh, to bygone years and, and bygone centuries now almost uh, in the way that that it's evolving very much like golf evolved uh, in the UK and other places. But uh, that is that is so to the credit of James Duncan, who's the uh, the inspiration and the basically the, the, well, the managing partner, but also... I shouldn't say founder, I guess not, because because of Eric Barrage and Chris Halsworth and other people who are out there who've been so supportive of James's uh, concept. But it's been James's dream, really, for many years to try to create a golf course in America that was uh, uh, created. And, and operated along the lines of the UK model, uh, which was yes, it had memberships, but it would be open to the, you know, the public on certain days, and it was very, very understated and low key. And of course, James grew up in Scotland and Denmark, so he's been around sheep all his life. So when he got out there and realized that there was actually sheep herding and and going on in Northern California, he's like. Oh, this is this is the perfect combination. So James is the one really who said, "I think we should do this. I think we should sheep should be an integral part of this the, the concept for brambles. And it's it's not a foreign thing that's been brought here. It's it exists in this area and and let's but let's incorporate it into the site. And uh, so it's it's pretty neat to see. And through the whole construction of the course. We'd be out there wandering around, just starting to, you know, again, do minimal work in terms of earthworks and things on the site. But the sheep would be grazing. <laughs> Literally, we'd walk through the sheep, you know, and, uh, along the way, going down the holes. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it is going to be neat. And, and it's the fact that it's, it's, it's not a foreign um, or one of these idealistic uh, concepts that some marketing person might think of and say, oh, wouldn't it be neat to have sheep on the golf course? That would be neat. Let's get some sheep. 
That's happened before. People said, oh, let's have some sheep on the golf course. The coyotes love that idea. They think that's a fabulous idea. Let's bring some food out onto the golf course. If you're not prepared to, to operationally manage the sheep, it's a really bad idea, particularly for the sheep. But in this case, because there, you know, there are sheep herders there, and there, there are people who know how to manage those flocks, and uh, and they're doing that in conjunction with the creation of the golf course. So it's uh, it's working. I think the guy with the hardest job, neither guy, the person or the the thing with the hardest job out there is Zeus. Oh, the the, yeah. the Great Pyrenees. Yeah. I didn't. I <clears throat> my wife has like recurring coyote nightmares and that was the first thing i thought of when i saw the sheep is like you're surrounded by these mountains and you're like this this is coyote central this is you know mountain lion bobcats like how do you protect the sheep and and they're oh zeus the the one great pyrenees a dog protects 80 sheep or something like that oh yeah there's way more than 80 out there at times and and at times there are two of them there's a zeus has a twin and i don't know the twin's name but they're i truthfully i can't tell them apart but uh yeah it is uh it it is interesting to watch it's uh in a way it's got like going back centuries in time to see how that that process happens. I mean, we've been talking about agronomics and I think like something that, you know, the advances in agronomy that can open courses faster, provide playing conditions better, you know, quicker, better. There's a lot of benefits, but you know, one of the things that the sheep uh, at Brambles is going to bring is a, is a real unpredictability. It's going to lead to different, you know, you're going to get a lot of different types of lies. There's going to be a lot of different, you know, conditions throughout the course. Like, are you excited about having out of play areas be, you know, you don't know what you're going to get over there, uh, not out of play, but on the edges, you know, you're not sure really what you're going to get versus like, I think one of the kind of trends is this mono stand of like, this is, this rough is all maintained the same way across the golf course. Well, again, this is the old world concept of you're playing golf in nature. We're not playing golf in a botanical garden, you know, or a laboratory or a turf grass nursery. <laughs> We're playing golf in nature. And um, in that regard, the sheep fit in perfectly there because, yes, the, the, the more centralized parts of the fairways and things, they're very broad fairways, as you know, but, uh, the, you know, the majority of the area and the fairways will be be very good. Yeah. The turf condition is very good, but as you get closer to the edges, it's going to most likely become less good. And then, as you get off into the the, uh, the managed rough, I guess you'd say uh, some of that being mowed, some of it being, as you're alluding to, mowed by the sheep. It's it becomes a bit more of a um, <laughs> Well, you're not sure what it's going to be. You're, you're certainly not likely to lose your ball, but you may have a pretty good lie and you may just have a horrible lie. And sheep, in a lot of ways, are no different than people. They, they love to eat, but they don't love to eat everything. So sheep will, you know, sheep will 
munch and and eat all the stuff they want, and they'll leave tufts of things just sticking up if they don't. You know, I guess if they're desperate enough, they might eat it. But that's how you see that sort of eaten down and then the little tufts sticking up here and there. And and um, it's <laughs> what it is, it's the connection to the history of golf. I mean, golf began, as you know, 500 plus years ago on areas that were grazed by sheep. So it's uh, brambles in that sense is a, is a, connection through centuries yeah i think it brings one of the like the really neat things with golf is like you know i always think of one shot i always think of with this is like the fisher's island into the punch bowl uh over the blind shot into the punch bowl and how you like feel like you're just like running up over this hill to see where your ball is because you don't know and the same thing happens when you hit a shot and it's going to an area and you just have you have no clue what you're going to get. You might get a perfect lie over there. You might be able to hit, you might end up in a great spot, but you also might end up in, in the whole way up that, that thought in the back of your head is going to be like, how is it? How I wonder, I hope I get a good lie. I hope I get a good lie. And, and then you get there and you get to see, it's like it adds a layer of suspense when it's not predictable. You know, the last time we talked, it was a, uh, a very different time. You know, it was before, uh, COVID, it was just months, weeks before COVID kind of hit, uh, and golf was in a lot different space. What, how, how have you seen the industry, uh, and just the interest in building new golf courses change over the last two years? Oh, gee, Andy, it's, it's, uh, you know, it sounds so horribly insensitive to say, but as as tragic as COVID has been for so many people around the world, it's for golf. How do you say it without just sounding horribly insensitive? It's it's been a very positive thing. I mean, people have found themselves traveling less, um, you know, even to work working from home, having perhaps more time to spend and going out to their, you know, being outside, which was, a you know, the safest place I guess you could be. And um, I think in, in so many cases, people have started to say, hey, there's a golf course down the street here, a little public golf course. I'm going to go out there. I played golf years ago. I haven't played much. I've been too busy, this, that, and the other. I've got time now. I'm working from home. I can do it different times. And and they, they've they reconnected. Those who had, who had had some connection with golf, you know, in their earlier years. And, and then for other people, and just who'd never played just to be able to be outside and enjoy some sort of activity, particularly with family and friends and, and, and still feel comfortable. Um, it's just incredible. The numbers of, of potential projects that are being, uh, that people are, uh, calling about and considering and, and, uh, and those go, they run, you know, across the spectrum from, uh, um, restorations of old courses, remodeling of courses, expansion of courses, and 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 still, although not nearly as much, but still the uh, the interest in creating new golf uh, facilities. I was, was going to ask, how are you know having worked 
when it was like the heyday, you know, 90s, 2000s. How does this period feel similar and how does it feel different than that period? Uh, well, although you obviously just because of what you just asked and we were talking about, you cannot take COVID out of the equation, but let's set COVID aside yeah. and, and say, given where we are now and the, and the, the, the interest in the expansion of golf, um, is so, and I'm very prejudiced about this, so I don't speak for anyone else, not Ben, not anyone else about this, it's just me uh, personally, but I think it's so far and away, far and away better and more positive for golf than what it was in the 80s, 90s, 70s, um, when my perspective was golf was being used for other purposes, mm -hmm. most often to sell real estate. It was considered an amenity for real estate. And, uh, and so sites were almost universally demographically driven. Here's a population center. We want to build a development. We need golf to help sell it as open space and that sort of thing. Not that that was entirely wrong it wasn't there's some wonderful projects came out of that but um today i actually think this resurgence the boom and whatever you want to call it of of golf has more to do with golf than it does big developments and other things not that those aren't still happening but people really at least the people we talk to they are really interested in doing golf for the sake of golf, for people who are who are coming to play golf and want to play. And uh, yes, of course, they're the very high end private, you know, membership type clubs that are that are either wanting to expand or or someone wants to create that new type membership club. Those exist, but uh, so much of the other is is just about. Hey, people are enjoying golf. Let's let's give them products, interesting products, and the 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 fact that it's been proven now that people are willing to travel. Obviously, with COVID, that's very restricted. But I think the anticipation, the expectation is that people will travel to play interesting golf. So you, you're seeing more uh, sites and courses that are very much site driven. They're appealing. They're naturally gifted for golf, uh, and they're not being driven. The sites aren't being driven by the demographics. The sites are being driven by the potential for really good golf, and then the people come. Now, you can't do that, obviously, everywhere, but that's what you're seeing a lot of today. And with a huge number of, I shouldn't say huge, but with a a significant number of really, really talented young designers. It seems like it, it's kind of a prime opportunity for a younger architect to get their break because of the interest in redesign, new development, and, you know, some contraction in the industry over the tough times of the, you know, the late 2000s, and into the last couple of years where there was only a handful of new builds every year. 
I think there's, again, <laughs> some of the, the younger uh, men and women in this profession may disagree with this, but uh, it seems to me, at least, Andy, there's never been a better time to be a young designer because uh, I think there's more willingness now because of, of potential owners and, and clients looking at doing courses for the sake of golf that they, they're more willing, I think, to, to step out a little bit and say, you know, this may not be the, the, the biggest name designer or the, the most well-known, but I really like what this person's doing. I think they have the talent they need. I, th I think they'll do something really good here, and that's a good thing. Whereas back, again, you go back to the 90s, let's say, or something, it was extremely difficult for an unknown design uh, person to get a commission for a major project because it was about selling real estate. And to sell real estate, you need name recognition. And so it was, um, whereas one potential client uh, who wasn't one of ours, but one a potential client and long, long, long ago told me, he said, Bill, he said, you do really nice golf courses. He said, but you have to understand the profession you're in is not about who can do the best golf course. It's about who can do the golf course that's the best amenity for real estate. He said, you have to understand this. You're looking at it in a very naive fashion. He was right. I was. But that was long ago. In the period you were talking about today, it's, I, at least from my perspective, that, pers that philosophy doesn't hold true. I think it's completely shift it's shifted you know i think it's the complete opposite now yeah. it's it's yeah. i think it's you know part of society i think a lot of it you know it, it matches society and i think that's you know bearing true with restaurants and and coffee shops and everything where if you make the best product wins you know if you have the best product you're gonna you're gonna win and that's a great thing for golf yeah oh it's absolutely fantastic because in in those years again that you were you were describing it was so uh, extraordinarily difficult to break into the design business because <laughs> as, as one another developer told me once he said so bill what have you done and i said well i did this he goes but yeah, but you worked, that was on Pete Dye projects. What have you done? And then you're sitting there and you go, well, well, this would be my first, you know. Yeah. You just see the whole thing change right then. It's, you're telling, okay. Uh, fortunately, I do think there's more opportunity now. And I'm so happy to see it. I want to talk about a uh, project that I've been to a couple times now since, uh, since we last talked. Uh, Bandon Trails. I'm uh, I'm quite spitting about that place, and you know I think it's it, at the resort. It's got its its cult following there uh, among a lot of golf courses that are right on the ocean. And I would love to hear a little bit about the constructing the golf course and connecting those very distinct different areas of of the course. The different ecosystems, if you would say, you could say the 
ocean, the dunescape ocean holes with the meadow holes, with the forest holes, and kind of how you guys creatively weave that journey together. Well, Andy, it was abandoned trails began when Mike Kaiser called, and and uh, he I remember quite well the conversation, telephone conversation. He said, "Bill, I'm thinking about doing a third golf course at Abandoned Dunes." He said, "It will not be on the ocean, so you and Ben may not be interested." He said, "But I would just like to have the conversation to see if you if you might be, and uh, if you are, would you come and?" take a look at the site and I remember then Andy I mean just saying Mike yeah absolutely we would love to come see it I've seen abandoned dunes I've seen Pacific dunes they're just fantastic we'd love to do that and it's not like the site has to be on the ocean it's not like we have to say oh we've got to have the best site if we can do something that's uh that you and we and hopefully others will think complimentary to the whole golf experience there, then let's take a look at it. And he said, okay, come on, let's go. And so went out and and did look at the site. At that particular time, Andy, uh, Mike, and Howard McKee, you know, McKee's pub, Howard McKee, who's since passed on, but um, – did all the planning and permitting and everything for Bandon Dunes and for Mike and was a fabulous architect too, brilliant guy. Um, but they had they had thought that Bandon Trails was, would be all east of the big dune ridge back in the forest. And that dune ridge is the dune ridge that runs through from the hotel, really, the lodge, all the way across, you know, like two at Bandon Dunes plays into it, and then 18 at, at, at Pacific Dunes plays along it, and old, and old Mac plays over it on the third hole. So that's the Dunes Ridge, and it'd be east inland of that. Yes, and the, and the uh, you're exactly right. It's the same Dune Ridge that's to the right of 13, for example, at Pacific Dunes, mm-hmm. and then you play over it on the second hole i guess it is at uh, old mcdonald and in but it, it extends down the coast it's a, just a giant dune ridge there and so originally howard and mike said let's let's build it back in the forest it'll be more protected from the wind and um i went out there with that uh understanding and I went back and I wandered back there as best you could. It was very hard to get through because of the trees and the gorse and things. There were trails, though. <laughs> there were both animal trails and a couple of hiking trails that went back through uh, there. And um, I would just look at it. I, I went out for a number of days. and But each time I was staying in the lodge, there at Bandon Dunes, and I would walk out. And each day, I would walk out and I'd look at the dunes, what's now number 1 and 18 at Bandon Trails. And there was a trail that I walked on through those dunes, and I walked out through what's now number 5 and number 17, the two part threes, there, what we call the meadow area. And then I'd walk and get and go around the bottom end of the big dune and back into the the forest. And each day, Andy, I'd, I'd come back and I'd go, 
I could see, I guess, putting it all over here in the forest. And then one day, Mike Kaiser was out there and Howard, and I just remember looking at both of them. And I go, you know, guys, this is, after all, called Band and Dunes. What if we start in the dunes and work our way to the forest? And Mike was going, well, I kind of like that. I might, how are you going to do that, though? And uh, I said, well, I don't know, but it might be interesting. I said, the more I've walked out there, there's three distinctly different environments. Dunes, again, what we call the meadow with the beautiful, but the beautiful trees and the knick and nick and the ground vegetation and sand. And, and then, of course, in the Pacific Northwest forest. And so I'm not quite sure, but I think maybe there could be a way. And Mike said, well, how are you going to get over the big the big ridge? And it's, I'm not sure about that either, Mike. I said, I know we can go at the bottom end of it where it's it's much smaller, which is down where 6 Green is and 7T. So that was a big linchpin. Is- that you could get around that way. It's just how you were going to get back across. And um, But the more I just wandered out there and wandered out, and Ben came out, and we just kind of, you know, we looked at it, and um, it just it just seemed certainly to me and and Ben was in agreement about this it could be interesting to tie those three elements environments together and um and Mike was so as he's always been so supportive and even though it didn't fit what he was thinking of in the beginning he was open to it and Howard McKee who had permitted everything there and Howard was Howard, whom I just absolutely thought was one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met, talented people. But I would have dinner with Howard quite often, and he'd go, Bill, I don't know. I just don't know. He said, he said first of all, he said, we're getting ready to dedicate a lot of this dunes area into preserve. And, uh, and he said, secondly, he said, that area where you go through, you call the meadow? He said... That may be the prettiest property on this entire all abandoned dunes site, you know. He said, I just don't know how you're going to do golf out there. He goes, but maybe you could convince me. And uh, Howard, too, was open-minded. And the more we looked at it and the more we tried to piece some holes together in the routing, he, he said, all right, all right. I remember distinctly him calling me. They were met me out there where the old road that used to go in to band, the main road into abandoned dunes. You hit over now on the third tee and the 18th tee and, and the, Howard and Mike are both going, you're going to play over the main entry road. And well, we do it. We've all seen places you do it a lot and they go, okay, that's, that's okay. But Howard came out there, Andy, and he just said, Bill, you have 1000 feet. 1,000 feet from this road toward the ocean. He said, that's it. You can't go one inch more. He said, I've talked to the, you know, all the agencies, the state agencies, the county agencies. We can get you that much, that strip of dunes, which is exactly where one and two and 18 are. He said, so you've got that. Nothing more. And then he looked at me and he said, and if you mess this up in this meadow out here, I'm just going to kill you. He said, this is my favorite place on the entire resort. And I said, Howard, look at this. 
because what's now the fifth hole, the little par three, the green was there. You were telling earlier about greens. It was there, the big trough in the middle of it. We just graded off enough to put some pins on it. The green at 17 was more or less there, and all the stuff in between. So it was, it was like, Howard, we're going to build two par threes in your meadow here. One going this way, one going that way. We'll do very little disturbance. And he goes, okay. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's when it linked together. And people say, well, where did the name trails come from? It came from trails because there were, there were hiking trails out there, particularly through the meadow part, the dunes and the meadow. But there, then there were animal trails over the big dune ridge and back into the east. So I used to literally walk around all those trails. And so when Mike and uh, everybody was talking about what, what should the name be, I just go, well, there's a lot of trails out there. So they said, all right, band of trails. Yeah, I think, you know, when you hit over the road on that third tee shot, there's just, once you cross that road, there's this feel of like, it's a departure from the place that you're in. And I think that's part of what makes it so, such a, you know, it's, a, it's such an endearing golf course because you're, you're at this place and it's a resort. It's a resort. Like, I think... Like you're at this resort, you're, you know, and it's, it's, you're part of this society at this resort. And when you play trails, you just feel like you get away. It's interesting, Andy, right? The exact spot you're talking about, the tee shot on number three is one of my favorite in uh, personal stories with Mike Kaiser. Uh, Cause we used to walk out and we would, the holes had been staked and we would walk the first hole. Mike would be all excited. Go to the second hole in the dunes, he'd be all excited. We'd get to where the third tee is, right there behind the second green. And, of course, we're looking at a forest of trees and the road. And Mike would always look to the ocean, you know, where the big dunes are there. He goes, he'd stand there and go, Bill, why on earth would we go that way? Meaning the way the hole, the third hole goes. Why wouldn't we go that way? toward the ocean and I remember looking at it and go, Mike I've been that way the dunes are giant and the wind blows really hard I said we could deal with that probably I said but the primary reason we're not going that way you don't own that property it's the state land right there. and he goes oh because <laughs> he owned so much that he didn't know where the and I didn't know where the property boundary was until it was pointed out to me but I said so we're going this way and he goes why on earth would I want to go that way so the third hole the third hole was cleared and the guys worked on it David Zinkin whom you've met David did most of the work on the third hole and uh, other guys did too, but David did so much of that hole. And once it was all roughed in, and of course, once it was grown in and you're now playing, I have yet to ever play or walk that golf course with Mike Kaiser that we didn't go one, two, we'd get to the third tee and he would look at me and he'd smile and go, why on earth would I want to go this way? And it's one, I think it's truly one of his favorite holes. Yeah. I, you know, when I think about that golf course, the first thing I always think about is those meadow holes. I really like hiking and it reminds me of, I think that's one of the things that I have such an affinity for the course because it feels like you're going on a hike 
like you go on a hike for the journey and the different things that you see along the way and the different, you know, vistas, but also the different landscapes that you go through. The most interesting hike that I can ever remember is up in the northern Michigan and you walk through this this northern Michigan forest and then you get out and it's on Lake Superior and you get out and it's like you're on a Caribbean beach after three miles and you you get out to this wonderful place and and you sit there for a while and then you hike back but but it's about the places you go and you see and pass and then you come back eventually to the starting point in the sense we're talking about earlier about routing golf courses that's the way we perceive routing that a golf course should be how do you how would you lay out a course in such a way that if you were going out there to hike or go for just a morning walk or something how would you want to walk that property if to see the most interesting elements of that property and it be invigorating but not like so taxing that you just it's not fun you know and and so how would you do it so we kind of look at how you lay out a golf courses how would i if i weren't playing golf and i just came out to walk around where would i want to go and how would i do it and you you know sure times you want to go up on the hills and look out over things but you don't want to do it time after time after time so you know, you do, but you want to just travel around the property. And in our case, we're trying to get you to walk around the property, see interesting things, beautiful things. And, oh, by the way, you're playing golf. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I revisited uh, recently. I hadn't been there it, criminally. It's not far away from where I live. And I had I played a junior tournament in the uh, early 2000s at Warren Golf Course. And I hadn't been back since. And I re- distinctly remembered holes because I remember as a as a f- 16, 17-year-old kid, I'd never seen greens quite like, you know, some of the greens out there. I remember the short par three, what is it, the fourth or fifth hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, re- I just, that was my vivid memory as a kid. And, you know, uh, I went back and, I, you know, I'm how much is maintenance over time? And then, you know, do you think like, you know, I walked away, you know, some of those greens out there are, are some of, I feel like some of your most eccentric greens. How has your, you know, the green shifted as, as your career has progressed, you know, and, and, you know, was that more of a generating interest on a less, you know, you know, you know, we just talked about abandoned trails is, you know, the greens out there to me, I, I love wild greens. So I was out there and I was like, God, I should be coming out here at least once every year. Well, I think, yeah, if you have a site, for instance, at Notre Dame there, to Warren Course, it's basically a flat site. It's got a couple, you know, spots back there that go up and down the hills. But uh, it was, it was, um, well, Andy, it was a dumping ground for the university to be perfectly candid. It was full of junk back there. It was in the trees, but there was there were automobiles, scoreboards. It was it was just a mess back there. And so once they they cleaned all that up, and then they, they um, you know we cleared the trees, but it's just it's not very um, compelling site in the sense of the landforms, although you do have some things to work with. And Jude Creek that goes through is really pretty. But we just felt like the interest here is going to be more on the greens. And and to your point, if the, if the site's more subtle, 
or the landforms you know, not so dramatic, then we try to make the golf interest, you know, particularly uh, leading into and around and on the greens, on the putting surface. If you have a site that's very dramatic in the landforms for the the big parts of the golf course, we try to tone down the greens some. And for example, at the Sandhills, let's say, because of all the natural contours in the fairways, and particularly because of the wind element, we just knew we could, we've got to be pretty subtle with these greens. If we go build wild greens here, it's going to be unplayable. It will not be any fun. And so that was toning down greens to, to be hopefully a bit of a balance uh, with all the wild contours in the fairways. Notre Dame a little bit the reverse. Not much wild stuff in the fairways, so a little more, although it's not not hugely um, undulating greens by any means, but they are quite intricate. Yeah, they're super cool. I uh, I really like that golf course. One of the best, one of the very best values in all of golf. I mean, I think it was sixty or fifty bucks an hour and a half drive from Chicago, and anybody in Chicago, whether you're a member at Chicago Golf Club or Shore Acres, whether you're you know whether you play public golf at uh, you know Ravislow or the city courses, it's worth getting in your car in summer when the students aren't around and going out there because you get great hours with it on the east coast uh, or eastern uh, time zone it stays light really light and go out there and play it's uh it's it's worth a stop it's while you're on that subject though about, about the warren course in notre dame back to our earlier conversation about seeing a golf course evolve in a very positive fashion notre dame may be the most um the uh, extreme example of that, of any course that we've done, it, it, when it was first done, it was very rough, very rough. And, and uh, then when the decision was made to put golf carts out there, when there were no cart paths at the time after it opened, um, it got even more rough. And so it had its, it, it had its growing pains at the beginning. And yet what uh, numerous people who've been there who've worked on it have done, but particularly a guy named Matt Seelan, who was a superintendent there. He just uh, he just left there uh, this past year, but Matt Seelan was there, I guess, for a dozen or more years. He took that thing beyond anything we could have hoped for. He, he made it better and better and better and better. And he did it with a very, very small crew, very limited budgets, and for public golf. And it was just fascinating to see. John Foster, who was the golf director there for so many years, he, he just recently uh, retired too. But uh, what they did is so, maybe the best example of, at any place that we've worked of how it's the people who care for it can so can more influence it even even more so than some of these places that have that have progressed steadily uh, in a positive fashion like old sandwich or friars head or stream song or all these places that but notre dame it, it went from a real struggle to a uh, to something really special uh, because of people like John Foster and Matt Seelan and 
when the USGA was there, when they played the U.S. Senior Open. They just thought it was fabulous. Last question here before uh, we get you out of here. Uh, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, something that always interests me about about your profession is, you know, people people retire and stuff. I, what After all you've accomplished, what keeps you really interested in the job? Oh, God, man. <laughs> Andy, it, I mean, that to me may be the easiest question of any. It's... it's uh, if you have a dream when you're a kid and one day you wake up and it's, it's real, it's actually happening and has happened, I mean, do you want the dream to end? It's, it's, it, yeah, it's a business. Of course it's a business. But, oh, Lord, I just love it. I just love it. And as, as long as, um, you know, as long as people are interested in in our involvement in their in their projects, as long as I don't think that's going anywhere. You know, as, as long as um, the guys that work with us are willing to to go again for another year or two, as long as you know, as long as Ben and I are physically you know able to do it, I just I love nothing more probably than just walking. Like you're talking about a hike, walking out on the property and trying to envision golf and and how a course might come to life there and then and then obviously on through that process and and so yeah, I don't know I mean uh, I, I remember talking to Ben just very recently, and I said ben I said, you know, I guess the train is kind of pulling into the station." But I think there's still, I hope there's still some track down the way before we kind of come to a complete halt. But again, I mean, I, people think I make this stuff up, I guess, but it's, it's absolutely true. Andy, I mean, I could sit here right now and pinch myself because I could be going, really? Is this really happening? Did this happen? And I go, I'm not sure this is real. And, uh, so if I'm in the midst of the dream or a dream, I'm, I'm hoping it continues for a bit. Yeah, doing what you love is it, it makes it not feel like work. So, all right, thank you so much again. Always, always such a fun time talking, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you hopefully down the road sooner than later, sooner than the last uh, time we saw you. Well, let's hope so, Andy. Let's let's hope for good times ahead, and uh, hopefully our paths will cross soon. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. A big thanks to Meg Atkins, who edited the podcast, as well as Garrett Morrison, who did some work on the audio as well. As a quick reminder, we have uh, a new event releasing next week. It's The Banker, which will be hosted at Perry Maxwell's first design, his home course, Dornick Hills. This golf course was restored last year by uh, Tom Doak and Renaissance Golf Design. Uh, they brought back a lot of the features that were missing, the some of the Maxwell greens. And, uh, you know, it, it is a exceptional place to play golf. It is in Oklahoma. It is only an hour and a half from the Dallas airport, though. 
So it's an easy place to get to uh, Dallas and Oklahoma City, hour and a half from each of those airports, and a really neat spot that you should want to see. Uh, obviously important design and the history of golf architecture and uh, a course that is got a fresh look, fresh restoration from uh, Tom Doak and Renaissance Golf Design. That comes out next Monday, February 7th. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you later this week with another edition of the Friday Podcast that will we'll center on what you need to know about Perry Maxwell.